0: once again for your son jesus christ and we ask that as we look into your word your word would help us your word would enlighten us to the truth that we would see the wonderful promises that that you have for us and that we would see what you expect of us and how and how we through the power of your spirit through christ through the word we might be the We might be uh, exactly who you want us to be like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and love you for everything you've blessed us with. In your son's name, amen. I'm, I'm sure it's no shock to you if I say millions of people this morning will be in churches... And they will hear lots of different things. I'm sure that's not a huge shocker. It is also true that a lot of the things that will be said from the pulpits uh, might, might not be the best. Some of the things might be downright heretical, some of it might be good. I I expect there's certain men that I know that when they stand up to preach, they're normally orthodox, and they normally teach from God's word, so I'm expecting there's going to be good things as well. However, this morning, I don't really want to just talk about, there's lots of different views out there, whatever, and in all those views, there's even some views, and there's some people that are predators, and they they want to change your theology and move you away from Christ, and... it's not my goal this morning to fix every single person's theology and every single church's theology. Rather, my, my goal this morning is to show you what God's Word says about true spirituality, how we relate to God through His Word, in hopes that you see this and you go, yeah, this is exactly what we need to be. We need to be what the Bible teaches us to be. And then secondarily, you would then say, yeah, that other stuff, well, that That's phony baloney, right? I I don't need that. I have the word. Now, in talking about spiritual life, and there's lots of different views on spiritual life, I will say this, that the most important thing in your spiritual life is having a strong heart. Not physically, but spiritually. Uh, A a strong inner man is a really important thing. That immaterial part of you, being strong and and, and fed from Christ, fed from his word, that is beholding of his attributes, beholding of his ways, and holding of his word. That is the essence, and that, that kind of that moves us forward as humans towards Christ. Obviously, there's also the Holy Spirit who empowers us, but a strong heart is really important. And this morning in Proverbs 15, we're going to take a, a quick snapshot of, of a heart and, and some of those things that need to be in the heart of the wise, I don't know how far we'll get, but um, my intention is to at least go down to verse 14 this morning of Proverbs 15. But as we're going through this and we're talking about the, the heart of the wise, my goal this morning is to show you three things. First in verse 12, that the heart of the wise is teachable. A strong heart is a heart that is teachable, uh, that, that you're willing to learn. But, but not just teachable in any area, we'll get into this, but teachable to God's word. Uh, essentially, a, a strong, vibrant, spiritual life says, I am not taught unless I am taught by God, by his word. The second thing is, in verse 13, that a wise heart is a joyful heart. Lord willing, we'll get to verse 14, where, it's, where we'll see that the heart of the wise is discerning. Next week, we'll deal with contentment, we'll deal with self-control, and we'll deal with fidelity, which are the next verses. But this morning, this is what we're going to deal with, these three things, these three uh, descriptors of a wise heart. So let's go to verse 12, and in verse 12, we're going to see that a wise heart is a teachable heart. Notice what is said here my notes will cooperate it says a scoffer does not love one who reproves him he will not go to the wise now here we see the word scoffer we've discussed the word scoffer already in this study and remember there's three main bad characters in the book of proverbs you have the one who's the naive one, the open-minded, uh, they don't know any better, and they are more inclined to listen to anything else other than the word of God. And so that's the description of the naive person. He's kind of like the lesser of all of the bad guys in the book of Proverbs. You then have the second bad guy, which is the fool. He, he knows better. He chooses the way of folly. Now, he himself might be deceived, but he is, he's in it. He's choosing to walk away from the Lord. This one is the fool. This is the, the one that we see the most of, right? The fool. He walks away from the Lord, doesn't want to listen. The scoffer is the ultimate. The, the scoffer is that hardened fool. The scoffer would be the one that we'd find like in Romans 1... ...who the Lord has turned over to a debased mind. This is, this is the one who doesn't listen, knows better... And, ...and makes fun of those, persecutes those who do follow... And even we could even say is one of the ones who in, is the inventor of folly, right? So the scoffer is a really bad guy. Notice what a scoffer does, this one who rejects outright the, the word of God. He does not love, he does not have any affection for one who is willing to reprove him. For one who is willing to come up and tell him the truth from God's word, to show him from God's word where he's wrong. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't love that person. He's not willing to listen to that person. He doesn't care, right? The scoffer does not, does not want to go to that person. He does not want to go to the one who offers wisdom. And we could say by default, he does not go to the one who's the source of wisdom. He, he, does, he doesn't love God. He doesn't love others. He, he's not willing to go there. In fact, that's the next part that says, right? He, he's not willing to go to the wise The word here for go is the idea of of a journey, somebody who's willing to take a pilgrimage. This guy's not going on any special trip to learn from any wise person on on the ways of wisdom and on the ways to follow the Lord. Now, we've learned a lot about scoffers so far in the book of Proverbs, and we've learned a lot about these people who reject reproof. In fact, in chapter 1, We've seen in verse 25 and in verse 30 about how these people spurn wisdom. We saw in chapter 5 how they absolutely detest any type of wisdom. We see in chapter 10, they reject reproof. They reject reproof from God's word, and therefore then they go astray. They walk away from the faith. They move away from the faith. We see in chapter 12 that they are absolutely ignorant. In chapter 13, verse 1, they, they're just not even willing to listen. And then remember a couple of weeks ago in verse 10, we, we saw he who hates reproof will die. This is a theme. This is a theme in the book of Proverbs of listening, that it's important for us to listen, important for us to be teachable, and that a fool and a scoffer is one who is not teachable. Now, I, I will be quick to point out, and hopefully as we're going through the book of Proverbs, your mind is already moving this way, to say, yeah, this isn't, just isn't talking about that guy who's at work, who's not willing to listen to anybody who says, I'm always right. That's not necessarily what's being talked about here. Now, that might apply, like there might, there might be some truth to that. This is referring to someone who theologically rejects the word of God and is not willing to listen to the word of God. We must remember that every single proverb must be interpreted in light of the fear of the Lord. That concept of the fear of the Lord is important, and it touches every single verse. This isn't just practical chicken soup for the soul type things. This is someone who rejects the word of God. Now, we could look out, and there's hundreds, millions of examples that we could point to of saying, look out in the world of all of the people who are not willing to listen to the word of God, and that is a terrible thing. And I agree, that is a terrible thing. And sometimes we forget that there is even scoffers within our own fellowships of those who claim to be believers. This is something that is true, that has happened, and will happen, and is something that we should expect to happen. For example, in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, in warning the elders of Ephesus, says, be careful, because after I leave, people will arise from among you to lead people astray. In fact, when Paul's talking to 1 Timothy, who's pastoring at that same church, by the way, he's, he's in Ephesus, the, he talks to the elders, then he talks to the pastor, Timothy, and notice what he says in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, he's already discussed earlier in chapter 3 about in in the end times, terrible things are going to happen because there's going to be rampant false teaching. Paul says, look, that's coming. But you need to continue in the faith. You need to continue in the things that you've learned. And of course he learned it from his grandmother. Of course he learned it from Paul but I think the implication we could say is he learned it from the scriptures, right? The things that he learned, the things that are really true, the things that are important to hold on to, are those things which come from God's word, right? So in that's what he says. And in verse 15, he says, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. That's the thing he's supposed to continue on, right? Those things which are true according to God's word. And notice that it's these writings which are able to give you wisdom, Right, So notice that as Timothy was learning the writings, the scriptures, as an early child, that gave him wisdom, and he was teachable by the word of God. That, that's the point. He must be taught by the word of God. And this leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Then he says, all scripture is inspired, comes from the mouth of God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So Paul then says to, the, to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom, preached the word. Right? It would make sense that if the word is the thing that we're supposed to continue in, that's the place where he learned all of his things that he needs to continue in, that that would be the thing that he would teach. If this is the thing that trains someone to become adequate and equipped for every good work, then this would be the thing that should be taught. If this is the thing which is profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction, this is the thing that should be taught, right? This is the thing that should be promoted, not the other stuff. In fact, the implication of the text is if you follow the other stuff, you teach the other stuff, you, you share some of these other false expectations, you're leading people astray. Not towards Christ, not towards wisdom, but towards folly. So then in, in 4.1, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who's the judge, the living, and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom. So here he's saying, look, Timothy, I'm not the one that's judging you on whether you're doing a good job or not your congregation's not the one that's judging you on whether you're doing a good job or not. Ultimately, it will come down to Jesus Christ. He will be the one that judges you on how you, how you conducted yourself and the things that you say. So, so Jesus is the judge here, right? And, and the, the command here is to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, literally when people want it and when people don't want it to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The question is, why would Paul have to say this? Why couldn't he just say, preach the word? Because he understands, he understands... that there are false teachers out there... and those who are leading people astray. So notice what he says in verse 3. He says, for the time will come... when they will not endure sound doctrine. You see, that's the point. You preach the word which will counteract all of that false teaching. But you keep on preaching whether they want it or not. You preach the word whether they're seeking it or not. Why? Because a time is coming when they not endure sound teaching. They will not be willing to listen. In in essence, we could say they are not teachable. You You see the difference here? One goes to God's word and is taught by God's word. Continue in that. The other is not willing to be taught by God's word. And, and so they will not endure it. They won't even listen to it. So what will they do? Well, wanting to have their ears tickled. Tickled is an interesting phrase here. Maybe, maybe better uh, scratching. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but if, if you ever had your back itch, what are you willing to do to get rid of that? I've seen people do all sorts of crazy things rub themselves on all sorts of surfaces. That's the idea here. So think about that. Just think about the time, last time you had an itch and what you did. These people have an itch, but their itch is not for the word of God. Their itch is, I can't stand the word of God. So what will they do? how How will they scratch their ears? Simple. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And the word here, accumulate, is is even deeper than just, I just have a list of people. It's literally, they pile on top of themselves. The, The image is clear. Someone's preaching sound doctrine, they don't want to hear it, so they just pour people on top of themselves to drown out the noise of sound doctrine. They are unteachable. You go, well, so what? Well, notice what happens next. And they will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. This is what happens with scoffers. And and it's important to realize that scoffers are not just content in being scoffers in their own heart and just saying, I just don't believe. The picture we get here is that a scoffer doesn't want anyone to listen. They don't want to hear it, and they don't want others like them to hear it. They want to silence the truth. They're not teachable. So Paul tells Timothy in verse 5, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, to fulfill your ministry. The, the heart of the wise person is one that is teachable. That's the point here. Fidelity to the Lord means that I must be teachable, and that my heart in his hands must be like clay. He must shape me and mold me into the image of Christ. That's what the Word does. That's what the Spirit does. If I'm not willing to listen to the book, then I'm a scoffer. And normally what ends up happening is if I'm a scoffer, then I'm just going to take whoever's saying whatever I want them to say and putting them on my team and just listening like this huge echo chamber and just listening to people who already agree with me, right? That's what happens. That's not what is supposed to happen. So as as believers, we must be in the word. We must spend time in the word by ourselves. When we're together, we must spend time in the word. This this is where we need to be spending our time. This is where we need to be taught. And like and like it was like I've said numerous times, and the Puritans used to say all the time May we never say that we're taught unless we are taught from God Himself. That is our standard. I am not taught unless God has taught me. Unless Christ has taught me. The example of Christ has taught me. The word of Christ has taught me. It's a shame. It's a shame you look, at a lot of, you look at a lot of people... ...who are going to be going to different fellowships this morning... ...and they do not want the word of God. And they are willing to accumulate for themselves... ...teachers who say exactly what they wanted to hear. That's not wisdom... And that's not what God wants. So, I, I guess one of the things that we could say, just for a discernment thing, is how do I know if somebody's trying to pull me away? I guess the point is, do they, always, do they point back to the scriptures? Is there, is, there, is, there real, is there real scriptural truth in the things they're saying? Are they pointing you back to the book saying, don't take my word for it, go and look for yourself. See what it says for, your, for yourself. That, that's that's how you know the type of people you need to be listening to, those who point you back to the Word. Now, more could be said, but let's go back to Proverbs 15. And notice what is said in the next verse, in verse 13. It says, A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. So once again, some people, when they read this, they just go, oh, you see... What you are on the inside happens to be what you are on the outside. If you're happy on the inside, then your face will truly show it. And there's probably a lot of truth to that, right? Just as a mere observation. That's an obvious observation. In fact, uh, uh, tonight we're going to be studying the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when you heard about the state of Jerusalem... His face was sad because his heart was sad, even though he tried to hide it. And the king looked at him and said, why are you so sad? So obviously there is some truth to this, right? That, yeah, if, if, if I'm sad, then my face is sad. But once again, we must realize that the book of Proverbs is much more than just some sort of observation book. This is, this is dealing with the fear of the Lord. And so our interpretation must include the fear of the Lord. And so when I think of this word joy, scripturally, joy is not just mere happiness, not mirth, not having a party. Joy really is this soul's contentment, this soul's elation based upon the person of God, the work of God, the revelation of God. And this joy drives me to glorify God. That's what true joy is. It's that sense of contentment and elation. But but it's based on God. It's based on Him. It's not based on my circumstances. This, This is what joy is. Universally, you look throughout all of Scripture, this is the definition of joy. So we're talking much more than just, I'm having a good time. We're talking about someone who is satisfied in the person and work of God. Someone who's satisfied in the person and work of Christ. They are content in that. They're content with what God has revealed. Now, speaking of joy, remember when we were going through the the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, forgive me, the fruit of the Spirit, and we talked about all those different ones, and we talked about joy. Remember, we said that joy, the great example of joy is Jesus Christ. And last week, Caxton went over Hebrews chapter 12, and remember in verse two, where it talks about Christ having joy set before him, even though he was enduring the cross. So Christ is our great example of someone who has this deep-seated elation and contentment based upon God, His revelation and His work that seeks to honor and glorify God. That Jesus is the great example of joy we also realize that joy is something that's produced by the Holy Spirit. This is not something that just, I can just say, be joyful, and you go, okay, now I'm going to be joyful. This is something that the Holy Spirit produces as we spend time in His Word, as we spend time uh, confessing our sin, as we spend time saying yes to the promptings of the Spirit, which come from His Word, When when we're living a life of obedience, as we're doing those things, and we're cultivating our heart, joy is produced. We also should realize, too, that in speaking about joy, my actions, not only is it a a production of the Holy Spirit, but a lot of my actions come from joy. So if I'm joyful, there's a certain way that I act. There's a certain way that I think about things. And you'd say, well, what would, that, what, would those, what would that thing be, that certain way that people would act? I, I, would, I would say that there would be three words for me that I, I would see that a, the scriptures teach come from a joyful heart that's produced by the Holy Spirit. It would be they're hopeful, they're faithful, and they're loving. Think about this. Think about a believer who's going through a situation, whether it's good or bad, any situation. When you talk to them, what are they full of? Hope. Why? Because the circumstances don't matter. Our promises are found in Christ. The fulfillment of those promises are based upon Christ himself, not my circumstance. I have hope for the next minute. I have hope for the next day. Based off of what Jesus Christ has done. Based off of the promises that God made. There's a sense of ongoing faithfulness. The Lord allows us to go through many tests. And as the book of James teaches us, those tests should not derail a believer, but rather make a believer stronger. Their relationship with the Lord should be stronger after a test than before a test. There's this ongoing faith, the the strengthening of one's faithfulness, of one's fidelity towards the Lord. So joy is, is... is something that pushes our faith, right? If I have joy, this contentment in the Lord, then I'm continually trusting him. I go through a tough time. I learn how to trust him more because I'm content in him. And I see how content I am in him. And then love. Uh, joy is, is something that should make us more loving, loving others like Christ loved us. So here we see a joyful heart. And I see the word heart here as referring not to the the physical organ, right? But referring to who you are in the inside, that part that nobody can see, right? We'll call this the immaterial part of man. The, The heart here, I think, refers to that. Now, sometimes the heart can refer to a specific facet of the immaterial part of man. But here, I think it's probably best understood as referring to that part of me that no one sees, So think about this. Think about how deep-seated this is. This is, I have joy way, way down in my heart, right? As the old song says. This is something that is deep. It is something that is not based off of circumstances. This is something that is implanted. And notice that from this, what happens? It shows on the outside. There's a clear, visible expression of one's joy. Now, the... The opposite is true as well, because notice what he says next. But when the heart is sad, and here the sad would be depressed, uh, would be the opposite of joy. And I have to say, if joy refers to that contentment, if joy refers to that elation based upon the person and work of God and his revelation, seeking to glorify him, then this, this sadness here would be the opposite. It would be someone who's seeking to be content in anything other than the Lord, anything other than the work of the Lord, anything other than the word of the Lord, and a desire to do anything other than glorify the Lord. This is that source of that sadness, that sin. This is, this is sadness from sin. This is not just somebody who's sad just because something bad happened. I see this as a sadness that is a, a product of not yielding to the Lord. This is, a, this is a product. This sadness is the opposite of what a believer has in the Holy Spirit. So a sad heart, notice what it says. When the heart is sad, then it says the spirit is broken. Now that's an interesting thing, right? On the one it says when, the, when I'm happy on the inside, then my face will truly show it, right? This other one says when you're broken on the inside, you're broken on the inside. When you're sad on the inside, you're broken on the inside. Meaning that this is a, this is a complete devastation. And when it talks about broken here, it, it talks about like a piece of pottery that's hit with a baseball bat. Right? We're not talking about, I accidentally dropped something, and it, there's like a hairline crack in it. We're talking about something that is decimated. We're speaking of someone who has no hope. That's what we're talking about. When the spirit is broken, there's no hope. So a wise heart is a heart that's joyful. As I said before, there's no I can't really just tell you to be joyful and you, you all of a sudden are joyful. This is a product of time. This is a product of time in God's word. This is a product of yielding to the spirit. This is a product of... It's time studying and knowing God's character and knowing his promises. This is a Joy is something that is, can be developed. And it is possible, friends, for us to do things that are unwise that stunt the development of joy in our lives. It is possible that I can be joyful, but I have a wrong perspective of the nature of God or wrong interpretation from a particular text. And that thing... Stunts my ability of realizing all that the joy that I could have if I would have the proper perspective and the right interpretation. It's possible for me to have a sin in my life that's not confessed and not repented of, that I keep in the back closet, that no one knows about. And deep down, I'm just not content. Why? Because I'm constantly going back and feeding that sin and not dealing with that sin. And it's possible that my joy can be stunted because of my own actions. But the heart of a wise person says, I want to be joyful. I want to, have, I, I want to be content in what the Lord has given me. I want to be content in the person of Christ. I want to be content in the work of Christ. I, I want that contentment. I, I, I want to get to that place of saying, I don't need anything more and I don't need anything less. I'm peachy right now. I can rest in Christ and rest in him completely. And from that will flow this faith, hope, and love. This is is the heart of, this is a joyful heart. This is the, the heart of a wise person. This is what a wise person does. Now, let's go to the next verse in verse 14. Notice what it says. New American Standard says, The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. This is a difficult verse for translators because there's a lot of nuance here and sometimes when the translators were trying to figure out what's the right word to say to give it the right sense and anyone who's ever translated anything from one language to another you know that the, the art of translating is making the right sacrifice. You never can give a full, complete translation and so here's one of those areas where it's kind of a difficult one to translate. So for example, the New American Standard says the mind. It's actually a word for the word for the heart. Okay? So it really should say the heart of the intelligent. And the word for intelligent really kind of has the idea of someone who is discerning. Now, it makes sense why they use the word mind when coupled with the word for discerning or intelligence right? It makes sense why they would say the mind. And however, I think that this speaks of the immaterial part of man, speaks of the immaterial part of man that has discernment, right? And discernment is much more than just sheer knowledge of theology. This is a, it's a, it's knowing what is right and what is wrong and the difference between that and what is almost right. It it also, discernment involves making the right decisions, right? Seeing two paths, knowing which way to 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 go, being able to plan my steps ahead. So the heart deals with those two things of both knowledge and volition. And so here when it says the heart of the discerning, we realize that discernment has those two facets. The mind, I know theology, I know what is right, I know God, therefore I can discern between right statements and wrong statements, and I know the right course opposed to the wrong course, And notice that the heart of the discerning, notice their desire is what? Seeks knowledge. And the idea of seeking knowledge here is seeking knowledge of God, to know God. That's what discernment leads you to. If you have discernment, you go, the most important thing for me to do right now is to learn and to know God. That's the most important relationship I have. That's the most important thing I have. That's the only place where I can find full satisfaction is the Lord. So I'm going to seek him. A person of discernment realizes that. A person of discernment makes the decision to know the Lord. Puts himself in a situation where he can continually know the Lord. It says what he desires. In one sense, we could say that's what feeds him. That's what fuels him. His desire to know God more and more. And true discernment, those who have true discernment have a heart that wants to know the Lord. That's ultimately what they want. It's unfortunate that there's so many ministries out there today that refer to themselves as discernment ministries. And all they're concerned with is just tearing everything down. Now, there's a lot of bad theology out there that needs to be dismantled. But, if our desire is simply just to be right in a theological context, just so that at the end of the day I can say, I want that theological exchange, then I don't think we fully understand discernment. Discernment says, I want to know the Lord. And I realize that bad theology stops people from knowing the Lord. Bad theology and bad interpretations stop them from seeking the Lord. They start to seek other things. And so a person of discernment says, I want to know God above all. And I want you to know God above all. And there are some things that we both need work on to move towards the Lord. There are some obstacles. Now, notice the fool, right? The wise person has discernment and seeks the Lord. But the fool, notice what it says. It says, the mouth of the fool feeds on folly. Once again, the word mouth here is kind of an interesting translation the Hebrew word here is literally face. Face. It refers to the entire face, not just the mouth. But it makes sense why they said the word mouth, because it has the word feeds. Although the word feed here is also an interesting one. It can mean feed, or it can mean to be a shepherd, or to provide something for someone. Which all kind of same, kind of same, similar meaning, right, poetically. It's, has he somebody taking care of something else? Of somebody nurturing themselves and, 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 and providing food for them so that they can have energy? That's what a shepherd does to sheep. That's what I do every time I go to go in the Golden corral. Uh, just stuff my face, right? But, but you get the point of what Solomon's trying to say. He's saying the fool has an appetite and a constant diet of what? Of folly. He desires folly, and the only thing that he's intaking is folly. And folly is all of that which leads someone away from the Lord. So think of this. A, a wise person has discernment that says, I want to go towards the Lord. And, and everything I'm doing is moving towards that, right? That would, that would be good discernment. Seeking a deeper relationship with the Lord. A person of folly is willing to feed on things... Willing to listen to people. Willing to go to sources that lead them away from the Lord. And that is their constant diet. That's not the heart of a wise person. That's not what the Lord would want for us. The Lord would want us to be discerning. And once again, discernment is not just a switch that we can turn on and off. Discernment is something that takes years to develop. It takes years, time in God's word, time talking to other believers, time... Uh, being obedient discernment is something that is a skill that's honed over time it's easy to derail ourselves and in our sense of of discernment it's easy for us to be walking in the flesh and our discernment be all out of whack so at the beginning I said there's a lot of people who say a lot of things about spirituality throughout churches some of it's good some of it's bad some of it is heretical I'm not trying to fix everyone else's theology. I don't think if we all collectively got together and gave everything we owned and gave 100% effort to correct everyone's theology in the world that we could even make a dent in the false teaching in the world. That's not my concern, and I don't think that's what God's called us to do. What God has called us to do right now in this moment is to examine our own heart, We have seen the bar set. This is what God expects. This is the heart of a wise person. It's our job to do the skills that are necessary to cultivate our heart so that this is what we will look like after time in God's word, time in prayer, time in fellowship, and time in obedience. As we continue to do those things, we will see this as a result But I must just say this, and I'm going to close with this, close with a warning. Be careful of the wolves that are outside of the doors. There are many who do not care about you. They are willing to lie to you. They are willing to tell you anything that your flesh wants to hear. And you and myself can easily be tempted... Because we still have the flesh. And when they offer something that the flesh wants, guess what? Our flesh gravitates towards that. Realize that when they are selling you a bad bill of goods on true spirituality, that they are getting some of these basic things wrong, such as they don't want you to go back to the Word, they want you to go to themselves. They don't want you to be joyful they want you to be dependent and sorrowful on them so that they can continue to feed on you and feed on on, on your your, de- your depression, as it were. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't want you to have discernment. They want you to only goose-step in line with them and what they're telling you. They are real, and they are out here. They are around us, and the things that they say are tempting. Watch your heart. Make sure that you Understand what God actually requires and strive for that. If something new comes along that tries to tempt you, do with it as you do any other temptation. Forsake it and flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and the things that are found in your word. We just ask that as we leave and as we go out and we we spend the rest of the afternoon with our family, that you would keep us safe and bring us back safely tonight so that we may learn more from your word. We thank you for the book of Proverbs. We thank you for the things that are found here so that we may learn exactly what you expect of us and that we may see your truth and we may see what does it mean to be like your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Spirit that empowers us and helps us say yes to what is right and no to what is wrong. We just ask that as we we go out, that we would seek to honor and glorify you in everything we say, everything we think, and everything we do. We say this in your Son's name. Amen.